So we are on week four of a six-week series on spiritual gifts. After that, we're going to be looking through different psalms through the rest of the summer in terms of how to pray, but we are in week four of a six-week series on gifts. And we, we've seen in this series that when you put your trust in Jesus, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord and as your treasure, he forgives you for all of your sins, past, present, and future. He pours his love into your hearts. Feel his presence. You're filled overflowing. And because of that, he starts to change you. What an amazing gift we have in salvation. But that's not all that he does. The Bible also teaches that at that point, he starts giving us what the Bible calls spiritual gifts which are abilities, God-given abilities, by which we can encourage and help and serve and bless those around us. That's why we're doing this series. So this morning, we're going to finish Paul's list in 1 Corinthians 12, the list of gifts that we're calling, for lack of a better word, the more charismatic gifts. And then next week, Ben is going to preach on, I guess we'll call them less charismatic, but still essential Gifts, gifts of speaking, like teaching and exhortation, evangelism. Then the following week, Aaron is going to preach on less charismatic gifts that are absolutely essential, gifts of doing, acting, serving. So then that'll wrap up the series. But this morning, we're going to finish up the list that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. So let's read that passage. We'll be picking up with the last three gifts this morning in this list. But start with verse Seven. Paul says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's the purpose of these gifts, the common good, blessing others. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, that's as far as we got last week, and then here's the ones we're going to cover this morning, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So let's start with the ability to distinguish between spirits. Look again at verse 10, so you'll see exactly where that is. Verse 10, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. So what is that gift? Well, let's say that there's something that you can tell is supernatural going on, although you really can't discern whether this is from the, the Holy Spirit or from an evil spirit. What we need to understand is that at times like that, God can give us the ability supernaturally to know, to be able to discern whether it's from the Holy Spirit or an evil spirit. Now, I, I think that might be what's going on in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. Let's read this and you can tell me what you think. But I think that that's what's happening here. Here's what Luke writes, Acts 16, 16 through 18. Luke says, as we were going to the place of prayer... We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit 
of divination, an evil spirit which would give her the ability to foretell the future. A spirit of divination and brought her owners, she's a slave girl, brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. So this woman is speaking the truth, right? I mean, Paul and his band of, of missionaries there, they were servants of the Most High God, and they were proclaiming the way of salvation. But look at what Paul does. Look at how he responds. Verse 18 And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So it seems that the Holy Spirit gave Paul discernment. Yes, this woman was speaking the truth, But Paul could tell that this is from an evil spirit. Not sure why an evil spirit would go around speaking the truth about Paul and his team of missionaries, but that's what this evil spirit was doing. And so Paul received this wisdom and blessed this slave girl by casting the demon out of her. And imagine that you were her. Aren't you glad that that the Holy Spirit gave Paul that wisdom and that insight? She was freed. Now her owners were not happy. You'll want to read the rest of the story this afternoon maybe. But she received great benefit, and great blessing through this gift of the distinguishing of spirits. Now, how can we receive that gift? Here we are here in Abu Dhabi, the year 2021. How can we receive this gift? And again, as we've seen every week, the answer is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Look at what Paul says. Pursue love. That's first, most important. This is all for the sake of love, to to bless and help others around us. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So one of the gifts we should earnestly desire is this gift of distinguishing between spirits. We should earnestly desire that gift, which would certainly include praying for it, asking God for it. And then when you're in a situation where you can tell something supernatural is going on and you're not sure if it's from the Holy Spirit or from an evil spirit, understand that God could give you that gift right then and there. Father, give me wisdom. Give me the gift of the distinguishing between spirits so I can be of help here. That's how it works. So that's the gift of distinguishing between spirits. Next in Paul's list. He mentions the gift of various kinds of tongues. Look at verse 10 again. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. Now, we're going to spend some time on on this gift this morning. And one of the reasons is because there there is teaching about this gift that, that, that... it is not, not, not biblical, not helpful. And I want to help you see, hopefully, maybe what you've learned isn't biblical, isn't helpful, or what you've learned is biblical and is helpful, but to help you see what the scriptures teach. And so if you, if you hear things from me teaching, preaching this morning that are unusual or that are different than you've heard before, my encouragement to you would be just give it time, study the scriptures, The Bible is the authority, not me. The Bible is the authority here at Grace Church. 
And so what I want to do is to point you to verses in Scripture so that you can study them after this morning and think through if what you've been taught is true or, or not. And the reason that's so important is I think that some of the ways that the gift of tongues is taught are not only not biblical, but are harmful to people. And I've heard stories from some of you to that effect. So let's dig in. What is the gift of tongues? The gift of tongues is where the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to pray in a language that you've not learned. It seems that most of the time, at least, um, the gift of tongues is, is a prayer to God. It's not a message from God to us. It's a prayer from us to God. And there's two scriptures that I want to show you that I think point in that direction. The first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. I want to show you that the gift of tongues is, is prayer from us to God, not a message from God to us, as important as that can be, and that's the gift of prophecy. But look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 2. He says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So tongues is speaking to God. Another way of describing speaking to God is prayer, right? Look also at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 14 through 16. Paul says, for if I pray... In a tongue, my spirit prays, so I'm, I'm praying in this language I've never learned, but my mind is unfruitful. He doesn't understand what he's saying. He's being built up, doesn't understand what he's saying. That's what happens when he prays in, in a tongue. So verse 15, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, I'll pray in tongues, but I will pray with my mind also in my native language, which I can understand. I will sing praise with my spirit, I'll sing praise in tongues, but I will sing with my mind also in my native language. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit in tongues, how can anyone in the position of an outsider, I think that means somebody who doesn't have the gift of interpretation. You can do some more further study on that. How can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? There's lots we could say from those verses, but I just want to point out one thing, and that is the gift of tongues involves praying to God, singing praise to God, and thanking God. Those are all forms of, of prayer. So tongues is not a message from God to us as much as, as much as it's prayer from us to God. And so tongues is the ability to pray in a language that you've never learned before. Now, sometimes the language is a known foreign language, and sometimes it's not a known foreign language. Let me show you one passage where it's clearly a known foreign language. That's in Acts chapter 2, what happened on the day of Pentecost. Most of you are familiar with this powerful passage. When Jesus left for heaven, after he had died on the cross and risen from the dead, he ascended into heaven. And before he ascended into heaven, he told his followers to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the promised gift of the Holy Spirit, which he'd been talking about throughout his ministry. And on the day of Pentecost, there were lots of people in, in Jerusalem from other countries who spoke all kinds of different languages. And so look at what happens. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, 
They were all together in one place, all the believers. They were all gathered together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. All these people who weren't yet followers of Jesus, they all came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Okay, so what's going on here? The disciples are all together, just as Jesus had called them to do. They're praying, they're waiting on the Lord for this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And as they're doing that, Jesus pours the Holy Spirit out upon them. And they were filled with God's presence. They drank of the living water of the Holy Spirit. They felt Jesus' glory. They had God's love poured into their hearts. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were so full of joy that they went out into the streets speaking praise to God of what he had done through Jesus Christ. Not only that, as they started to speak these praises of God, something happened. The Holy Spirit gave them the gift of tongues. He caused them to speak in the same foreign languages that were spoken by the people that had gathered and that were listening. Languages that the believers had never learned. They were miraculously enabled to speak languages they'd never learned, praise to God, that were the same languages that were spoken by the people listening to them. And so everyone listening could hear their praise to God for what he had done in Jesus. And so it's clear, can you, you see from this passage, tongues in this passage is, involves known human languages, known foreign languages. But there's also times when tongues involves not human languages, not known, maybe tongues of men and of angels, maybe tongues of angels. We, I'm not so sure about that passage, but look at this passage. Look at 1 Corinthians 14.2 again. We've already seen this, but look at it again. One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him. So Paul says that this person praying in tongues will not be understood by, by anyone, which must mean that it's not a foreign language, because otherwise there could have been somebody in the gathering who spoke that foreign language. But this speaking, praying in a tongue is not understood by anyone. So it seems to me that the gift of tongues can involve the gift of speaking in a known human language or an, an unknown language. Both are taking place here in the New Testament. And there's two different ways that the gift of tongues can be used. Okay? One is just by yourself praying to God in tongues and God will build you up. He'll strengthen your faith. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. That's a good thing. You're, you're building up your faith. You're strengthening your faith. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. So that's one use of tongues. You're by yourself, praying by yourself, and, and your faith is built up and strengthened by that. But there's another use of tongues, and that's maybe you're in a gathering like your home group or like here on a Saturday morning, 
And sometimes the Holy Spirit will stir you to speak that gift of tongues publicly. You'll know he's, he's urging you to speak this tongues, this prayer in tongues publicly. And then when that happens, the Holy Spirit is going to give someone the gift of interpretation so that then when we all hear the prayer God has given you to pray and what it means, we'll all be strengthened and blessed and built up by it. Now you can see that use of tongues described in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 27. Paul says, If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. So if tongues are heard in public, they should always be interpreted. Otherwise, there's no benefit to those who, who hear. That's what Paul's talking about here. Now, for some of you, this, this will sound very different than what you've been used to, because there are churches where many people are speaking in tongues at the same time. Many people are maybe singing praise in tongues at the same time. You may be used to that as part of your church background, part of your church culture. But I'll just encourage you to ponder verses like this. This verse is from the Holy Spirit, right? What Paul wrote was words directly given to him by the Holy Spirit, written down. This is perfect truth from God, from the Holy Spirit. This isn't Paul limiting what the Holy Spirit does. This is Paul telling us how the Holy Spirit wants tongues to work. And so this might seem very restrictive to you, depending on your background, but I would encourage you just to ponder and to pray over and to study this verse to see if you don't agree that when tongues are heard in public, they should always be interpreted. That's what the Holy Spirit gave Paul to write in 1 Corinthians 14. So this is how we operate here at Grace Church. I'll be coming to that more in a moment. Now another question. It's a very important question. How do you receive the gift of tongues? How does that happen? And the most helpful verse that I have found, it's, it's back to Acts chapter 2, verse 4, about what happened on the day of Pentecost. Look at what Luke writes happens to the early believers as they were gathered there waiting for the baptism of the Spirit. Luke says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So who gave them utterance? It was the Spirit. The Spirit gave them utterance. He gave them the words to say. Now I want to point that out because in some settings, well-meaning people who are excited about the gift of tongues want to help somebody else speak in tongues, and they'll say, okay, look, just repeat after me. And then they'll say something in tongues, and they'll, okay, just repeat that now. And then that person will repeat it and say, okay, that's it. You've got it. That's the gift. Well, the problem is if, if all that's happening is that that person's repeating what this other person said, that's not the gift of tongues. Because it's the Spirit who gives utterance. Do you see that? If I'm just repeating what somebody else is saying, that's not the gift of tongues. It's the Holy Spirit who gives you the words to say. And so it's, it's not helpful, as well-meaning as that person might be, to say, just repeat after me, maybe do it again to try to you know, kind of get the engine started or something. I'm not really sure. But, but for that person to walk away thinking, okay, that was the gift of tongues, is a disservice to them. Because they've not experienced what the gift of tongues is. The Holy Spirit gives the utterance. Okay, 
So here's how it really works. I think was what, what uh, Luke is saying here in Acts 2 verse 4. You feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, and then there's words in your mind which you don't know what they mean, and you're not sure where they came from, but you know that because of this is the gift of tongues is, and the Holy Spirit's there, that's the gift of tongues. The Holy Spirit has given you that, that utterance. And then you can choose to pray them by yourself, silently, if you're with a group, or, or if, if the Holy Spirit is urging you to share it publicly, then you can go ahead and share it publicly, and it'll be interpreted as God gives somebody else the interpretation, or gives you the interpretation. So that's how someone receives the gift of tongues. Now, this is important to stress for another reason, and that is I would guess that some of you are afraid of the gift of tongues because the impression you've got, you may have heard this, you may have they may be watching something on TV or something. You may get the idea that tongues involve somebody being overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. They kind of get maybe into a trance-like state, and they end up, you know, speaking things they have no idea. They've totally lost control, in other words. And it's like, that's what tongues is. And you're thinking, I don't want to do that. I mean, that, no, thank you. I do not I have no interest in falling into a trance and losing control. And I want to show you from the Scripture that that's not what happens when you receive the gift of tongues. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 27 and 28. I want you to notice in these verses that those speaking in tongues are in complete control of what they are doing. Verse 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Now, do you notice? I mean, the gift of tongues is here, utterance has been given, okay, but they're in complete control of whether they're going to speak it now, or wait for the first person to finish, or from the third person, wait for the second person to finish, or if there's no interpreter, then I'm not going to speak it publicly at all. So the Holy Spirit is working, he's given them utterance, it's a real gift of tongues, but they choose then what to do with it based on what Paul has said in this passage. They're in complete control. So I just want to encourage you, tongues does not mean losing control. You don't fall into, into a trance-like state and end up doing things, you, what am I doing? That's not how it works at all. And so you, there's no reason to be afraid of this gift. And I want to stress this because Paul calls you to earnestly desire all the gifts, including the gift of speaking in tongues. And if you're afraid of it, you're misunderstanding it, and you're not, not doing what Paul calls you to do. Now, tongues isn't God's special gift. It's not the most important gift. It's not God's favorite gift. It's not the gift that like opens up all the Holy Spirit to you. Tongues is just one of the gifts. They're all wonderful. They're all precious. We should earnestly desire all of them. But no one here should be afraid of the gift of tongues. And I hope you'll see that because of these verses I've just shared with you. Now, another important question. Is tongues the sign of being baptized in the Spirit? Baptism in the Spirit is an amazing gift. Jesus, remember, he had said that John the Baptist baptizes you in water, but Jesus said, I will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus promises, I'm going to immerse you into God's love. I'm going to immerse you into experiencing my glory, feeling my presence, knowing me. 
This baptism of the Holy Spirit where he's going to pour out the precious Holy Spirit upon you. That's the baptism of the Spirit. A beautiful, amazing gift. And our Pentecostal friends, and by the way, this is many of these points I'm making today are areas on which people who love Jesus can agree to disagree. Okay, but our job here as elders is to, is to bring you what we see in the scriptures. So our Pentecostal friends teach that the baptism of the Spirit is always marked by speaking in tongues. So they might, might pray for you for the baptism of the Spirit. And if you do speak in tongues, then they would say, okay, you've been baptized. Or if you do not speak in tongues, they would say, well, you haven't been baptized yet. But I do not think that's what the Bible teaches. Because of two verses in 1 Corinthians 12. First verse, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 where Paul is talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Every time in the New Testament the word baptism is used with this particular word in and then spirit, baptized in spirit, it's always the baptism of the Spirit. That's the phrase that we have here in this passage. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Paul says, in, there's that word in, in one spirit we were all baptized. So that's the baptism of the Spirit. In one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, right? We're drinking of the living water of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's an aspect of the baptism of the Spirit. So this is not water baptism being described here. This is baptism in the, in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's poured out upon you. You're drinking of living water. God's presence is filling your heart. Joy and peace are overflowing. God's love is pouring into your heart. It's glorious. And one result of the baptism in the Spirit is that we're, we're joined together in one body. You're joined together into the body of Christ. But now notice in this verse how many of Paul's readers were baptized in the Spirit. All of them were. Let's read it again. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And all were made to drink of one Spirit. We all, who all? All believers were baptized in the Spirit. All believers thereby were made to drink of one Spirit, drink of the living water. Now think about this. If, if every believer is baptized in the Spirit, then that means that at conversion, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. If every believer is, is described here in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that means that that this happened at the point of conversion. Because if every believer has been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then that means the moment they became a believer, they were baptized in the Spirit. Because if not, then there'd be some believers who weren't yet baptized with the Spirit. I'm not sure I can repeat that, but did you get the idea? Okay. Let me say it again. If every believer is baptized in the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, then that means that the baptism of the Spirit takes place the moment you become a believer. Because every believer has been baptized in the Spirit. Now you might ask, okay, wait a minute. What about the day of Pentecost? Here's all these believers. They had decided to follow Jesus, and they were not yet baptized in the Spirit. How about that? And, and that is a, an exception. It's a huge exception, but there's a reason for that exception. Understand that while Jesus was on the earth, the Holy Spirit was not publicly poured out during that season. He promised that this would happen to his followers, but it didn't happen yet because God wanted to make sure everybody understood that 
There's the cross, Jesus' death on the cross. There's the resurrection. And because of the cross and the resurrection, therefore there can be the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's no baptism without the cross. And having that happen before the cross could make it look like you don't need the cross for the baptism of the Spirit. No, no, no. First there's the cross. Then there's the resurrection. And then there's the baptism, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. To be like a visual aid, a a picture for all of us now thinking, that's how we got baptized in the Spirit, because of Jesus dying on the cross and paying for our sins. So on the day of Pentecost, yes, those who had been believers were at that point baptized in the Holy Spirit. But from that point on in the book of Acts, every instance of conversion involves an outpouring, the gift, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Remember what Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. So Pentecost has just happened, and now he's preaching, and people are saying, what must we do to be saved? And what does Peter say? He says, repent And let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say, and then wait for the Spirit. He says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. So the disciples, the first disciples, were not baptized in the Spirit until Pentecost. But from that point on, everyone at the point of conversion receives the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God's love poured into their hearts, revelation of Jesus' glory given to you by the Spirit. Beautiful. And of course, it doesn't stop at the point of conversion, right? That's just the beginning. As we continue to seek the Lord in prayer, seek the Lord in worship and in the Scriptures, meditating on the Scriptures, we'll have outpouring after outpouring after outpouring. It doesn't stop with conversion. It it will grow and grow and grow. That's what he gives us. So I've been making the point that every believer has been baptized in the Spirit, but not every believer speaks in tongues. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 29 through 30. 1 Corinthians 12, 29 through 30. Paul says, are all apostles? And what's the answer? The answer is no. Are all prophets? Again, the answer is no. Are all teachers? The answer is no. In fact, the Greek structure behind each of these questions shows that the answer to the question is no. Greek has a way to do that. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. The answer is no, 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 no. So if every believer is baptized in the Spirit, but every believer does not speak in tongues then tongues can't be the sign that you're baptized in the Spirit. Does that make sense? If every believer is baptized in the Spirit, but not every believer speaks in tongues, tongues can't be the sign that they were baptized in the Spirit because they don't all speak in tongues. And that's what you see in the book of Acts as it unfolds. Now, there are times where tongues is given as part of the baptism of the Spirit, God can give that gift. He can give other gifts. Okay, he could, he could give the gift of helps. He could give the gift of teaching, the gift of healing, the gift of faith. He can pour out any kind of gifts he wants to or no gifts and just the baptism because the baptism is what the main focus is. But in the book of Acts, for example, we have tongues as part of what happens in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius' household in Acts chapter 19 with John the Baptist's disciples. At least some of them received the gift of tongues at the baptism of the Spirit. But in Acts 8 in Samaria, there's no mention of tongues. So again, that that just kind of plays out the picture. The baptism of the Spirit is not 
indicated. It's not verified. The sign of it isn't speaking in tongues. Now, let me give you kind of a historical illustration. See if this helps. Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes, amazing preacher in England, 1800s. He describes in his autobiography the time when he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. When He, he, he went to a, a little, it's called a primitive Methodist church, a little small church. I'm not sure exactly why he walked in, but he did sat down. And this preacher was just on fire that night, he says, and just preaching and looking right at Charles Spurgeon saying, Jesus says, look to me and be saved, young man. And Spurgeon, God's power just came and he repented of his sins, put his trust in Jesus. And here's what he says happened. He says, I confess that I never was satisfied till I came to Christ. The joy of that day was indescribable. I could have leaped. I could have danced. I had passed from darkness into marvelous light, from death to life. And then get this next line. This is so challenging. Home, friends, health, wealth, comforts, all lost their attraction that day when he appeared. When Jesus appeared. Jesus, you're all I need. You can take anything else. As long as I have you, I have everything I need. This is what Spurgeon was feeling and experiencing in his heart. Home, friends, health, wealth, comforts, all lost their attraction that day when he appeared. He was the only Lord and giver of life's best joy, the one well of living water springing up into everlasting life. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This outpouring of God's presence, filling your heart, satisfying your heart, strengthening your heart. Jesus, you are my prize. You are my treasure. I love you. I lay my life down at your feet. Glory to you forever. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not speaking in tongues. It could be accompanied by speaking in tongues or prophecy or a gift of teaching or a gift of hospitality. I mean, who knows what God might give in addition to that, but this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that so important to stress? It's two reasons I thought of. Maybe there's some more, but here's two. If you were told, wrongly in my opinion, that to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, you need to speak in tongues, then your focus on, I need to speak in tongues, I need to speak in tongues, could keep you from receiving the outpouring of love and joy and peace that the Holy Spirit wants to give you. That could happen. I'm trying to speak in tongues. How do I do that? What's, I want to be baptized in the Spirit. I've got to speak in tongues. No. Just move that question off to the side and just focus on the Lord Jesus. Worship Him. Trust Him. Love Him. But now there's good news. If that's happened to any of you, then I would just encourage you, Holy Spirit, be he keeps pouring his presence out upon us as we keep living our Christian life. So just seek him. I hope we're all doing that as a church, just seeking his face, opening up the scriptures, praying over the scriptures, meditating on God's word, worshiping him, praying, God, show me your glory. Pour out. I want a fresh outpouring of your spirit upon me. I need a fresh outpouring, Lord. And he will do that again and again and again and again. Second reason this is important. It's because, again, if you were, were told that the baptism of the Spirit is always connected with tongues, again, wrongly, in my opinion, and, and you're there and people are praying for you, maybe to, to receive fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and if you don't speak in tongues, you could be deeply discouraged, right? 
no baptism, I guess, no filling. I mean, it's marked by speaking in tongues. I didn't do that, so I guess, I guess I don't have what God wanted to give to me. And see, for the rest of your life, you can kind of feel like you're an inferior Christian, like a second-class Christian. You can feel like you're under this cloud of, like, kind of keeps the, the sunlight of, of Jesus' love shining upon you because of this cloud of what you're feeling because you didn't speak in tongues. So Grace Church, my encouragement to you is do not focus on tongues in an imbalanced way. We should desire all the gifts, and that's one of them, absolutely. We want tongues to flourish here as God gives it. Very excited about that. But oh, never let that take the place of focusing on the gift of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit makes Jesus real in your heart. That's where the joy is. That's where the power is. That's where the life is. Tongues is not where the joy, power, life is. Okay. Now, how are we going to use tongues here at Grace Church? By the way, if you have questions about this, feel free to email me. I'm not sure I can answer all your questions, but I'll, I would love to talk to you more. If you're thinking, well, this is just really different than what I've heard. I, I'm not so sure about that. That's fine. Wouldn't expect to change your mind in one morning. But send me your questions. Me or one of the other elders, we'd be glad to get together and talk about it. Open up the scriptures. Study these different passages. We want, we want you to understand the word of God as best we can explain it to you. So how are we going to use tongues here at Grace? We have limitations now because of COVID, all right? But here's what we're thinking about. Here's how we're, we want to do it. Let's say that during the week, as you're praying and seeking the Lord, God gives you a word in tongues with this urging from the Holy Spirit, I want you to share that on Saturday morning. Well, okay. I hope you'll, you'll, you'll say okay to the Lord when he does that. So what should you do? Email the elders. Say, I think God's given me a prayer in tongues that he wants shared Saturday morning. Would you pray about that? And we will, we'll think through when can that happen in the service, and we'll make sure somebody's here who's, <clears throat> who in the past has had a gift of interpretation, and then we'll have you come up here and share it, and then God will interpret it, and, and great blessing will come, come from it. That's how it's going to work. Hope that's clear. If you have any questions? So email the elders. I think I've got a prayer in tongues. What, what, what should I do? Should I share it this Saturday? We'll, we'll let you know. Now, one more gift in Paul's list here in 1 Corinthians 12. This is the interpretation of tongues. It's also right there in verse 10. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Okay, the interpretation of tongues is very simple. God reveals to you what the prayer in tongues means, what, what the meaning of those words are. So someone would speak a word in tongues, which neither you nor they can understand you know, by any natural abilities. But as they speak it, and as you are praying for the gift of interpretation, the Holy Spirit can give you exactly what that gift, that prayer is. And so let me just point out, this is how interpretation is different from prophecy. Prophecy is God's words to us. Interpretation, because it's tongues, which is a prayer, is our prayers to God. There's a difference there. Maybe it would be a prayer for those in our congregation who, who need jobs. I mean, think of how encouraging that would be, that God stirred this person with this word in tongues, which was a word of, of prayer for those of us who need jobs. How strengthening and how encouraging would that be? Maybe it's praise 
to God for, Lord, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. How powerful it would be for us to hear that, that prayer of praise lifted up. Maybe it's thanks, Lord, for our, our brothers and sisters in Christ who've strengthened me this week, encouraged me, encouraged each other. But see, as you share that interpretation, the Holy Spirit can give you that interpretation, and as you share it, that prayer, the whole church will be strengthened and encouraged. That's how tongues and interpretation works. Let's stand. I want to pray for us. Father, I want to start by praying for those of us for whom these have been new thoughts, different thoughts, maybe strange-feeling thoughts. I just pray that you'd bless them as they study, as they open up the Scriptures, and as they pursue this, and pray for good, fruitful conversations that we can have with each other as we study your Word together on these important topics. I also want to pray, Lord, for any here who have really been fearful of the gift of tongues because they thought it meant losing control and that sort of thing. And I, I pray, Lord, that you would help them see biblically that that's not what it means and that they would be able to start earnestly desiring tongues. Lord, we want to be a church that's desiring all of your gifts. So touch those who've been fearful, I pray. I want to pray, Lord, for any here who have been discouraged because they've never received the gift of tongues and therefore thought that they had not been baptized with your Spirit. And I, I pray, Lord, that as they keep searching the Scriptures and studying your Word, you would, you would help them, you would assure them, you would comfort them, and, Lord, that you would just give them a fresh outpouring of your Spirit in this next week just to bless them and show how much you love them and care for them. I pray that you would do that, Lord. And, Lord, we ask that you'd help us here at Grace Church to be pursuing your gifts earnestly for the sake of love and biblically, Lord. And that as a result, we would be built up, more lost people would be saved, and more glory would come to Jesus Christ. And we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.